The Incomparable Podcast, number 28, March 2011. We are back on The Incomparable, your source for all uh, discussions about topics that are relatively geeky in nature. I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying that. I There was a time in my life when I was a teenager in the 80s where I, I guess I would be offended if somebody said my interests were geeky, although... If I was standing there wearing a Doctor Who t-shirt, then um, I would be... You have ex- no defense. I would be exposed. <laughs> you Ex- could use your sonic screwdriver and teach them a lesson. Yes, I didn't have a scr- sonic screwdriver. I did have, actually, even worse, it was a glow-in-the-dark Doctor Who t-shirt <laughs> with the five doctors on it. This yeah. is presumably so you could see how many girls were not impressed by the t-shirt? And, well, I was, I was going to mention girls, <laughs> Lisa, in the context of I did wear it to high school a couple of times, and I, no, I never dated anybody in high school, so you connect <laughs> the dots. Coincidence? Uh, I think not. I think not. My Motley crew that joins me today, a combination we haven't had before in this podcast, I believe, we have joining us from, uh, from the lovely city of Alameda, Lisa Schmeiser. Hi, Lisa. Hello. Also joining me today is John Syracusa. Hi, John. You know, I think this is kind of like those long-running TV dramas where eventually everybody has to be on a show with everybody else. Every permutation must be explored, so I'm happy to further that goal. Excellent, excellent. And our very own Ted McGinley himself, Scott McNulty. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I have nothing in response to that. <laughs> I get, you shouldn't. You should be offended. You should shout, this podcast is over! I'm saving that for later. For later. Thank you. That's right. Always keep the red button um, ready to be pushed. So our topic today is a different one for us a little bit. Um, Lisa sent a a message to our our little incomparable mailing list talking about geek culture as a concept in general and the, the concepts of, you know, geek culture as a secret culture or, you know, was it accidentally secret? Was it secret because nobody really cared to join and so we were all alone in it? Um, and one of the one of the articles that um, that came up was a piece that ran in Wired a little while ago mm-hmm. by comedian Patton Oswalt, a very funny fellow who um, those of you who are not familiar with his comedy may know as the voice of uh, the, the Remy the Rat in Ratatouille. You may also know him as, uh, the, although I... Don't know many Kings of King of Queens listeners who might listen to the incomparable, but if you are a a King of Queens viewer, he was on that sitcom um, as well. Uh, very funny fellow, and as it turns out, remarkably nerdy, which I I wasn't aware of. Um, and he wrote a piece in Wired called "Wake Up Geek Culture: Time to Die," which it, itself is a Blade Runner reference, by the way. Um, and in it, he talks about nerd culture and how back in the day in the eighties. Um, he, he felt that he was part of a secret society who was able to shout out Monty Python references and, and, uh, princess bride references and talk about various monsters in the monster manual of Dungeons and Dragons and, and refer to specific Star Trek episodes and was reading not just the Watchmen, but the Swamp Thing run of Alan Moore that preceded the Watchmen and, Mm -hmm. uh, how in this day of internet, uh, uh, knowledge, and in many ways, a celebration of geek culture that this has been lost. Now, some of what he writes is sort of um, silly, but uh, some of it, I think, is also very serious. And uh, and we'll link to it in the show notes. And you might want to stop and read it and then come back if you're that sort of multitasking podcast person. Um, but so so with that said, I, I wanted to start by by getting reactions to to what Patton Oswalt wrote and also maybe a little bit about sort of your looking back on your life and and how you kind of got immersed in more geeky pursuits. Lisa, you, you're the one who brought this to our attention. Um, you know, where would you like to start? I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm a big Pat Oswalt fan. I have all of his albums. I read this essay right after I finished reading his book, Zombie Spaceship Apocalypse. And uh, the premise this- of which, can you explain the zombie spaceship apocalypse premise there because it seems pretty self-explanatory no 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 they're actually three separate (laughs) concepts that you have to choose uh, oswald theorizes that most uh, fantasy and sci-fi folk can be divided into one of three tribes those who connect with zombie stories those who connect with spaceship stories and those who connect with um the post-apocalyptic landscape stories 
And his premise is that how you connect actually says a lot about you as a person. For example, people who connect with spaceship stories tend not to be very interested in solving problems where they are because they're like, screw this, I'll just find another space system. And in real life, they tend to be pretty self-contained. They tend to be prepared for everything because they have that I'm on a spaceship mentality. And he alleges that uh, most comedians connect with stride across the post-apocalyptic landscape type scenarios because it's about the total disintegration and chaos of society and observing what comes next. So he'd already begun working on a sort of nerd taxonomy. And then this article came out and I, I see him sort of codifying his argument even more. And I think the thing that rubs me the wrong way is um, it's a nostalgia soaked piece in the sense, Oh, I was into Watchmen back before it was a byword for a spectacularly bad movie. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of doing the same thing that the social groups who, who really did ostracize, ostracize nerds and geeks did to us back in the eighties, which is it's creating a hierarchy, putting people in it and assigning value judgments to it. Cause his complaint is, well, you people who are geeks today aren't geek enough because you don't have to work that hard for the arcana. Um, right. There's not a commitment. Yes, exactly. Um, I can remember going to Virginia tech in 1990 and meeting up with a group with a mutual friends group of friends who were huge into the, the, the sci-fi con circuit, and they had all of these in-jokes that you would know if you had been attending Balticon and Dragon Con and the rest of the cons through the 80s. And somehow, in order to be part of this group, I was going to have to be expected to hunt down the references and spend enough time around these people so I could build up the social capital to be included in the conversation. And needless to say, that was like the first and last time I hung out with these folks. <laughs> But, well, I mean, come on. Uh, it's just the, 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 the notion that you have to have some sort of uh, admissions test to qualify for being interested in the subculture. I, it is something that I can see geeks coming up with, and it is, it's just an idea that ropes me the wrong way. Well, isn't that and, a jock? Isn't that a jock move? Right? I mean, I mean, isn't that... You have to try out for teams, exclu so yeah. Excluding, excluding people because they're not cool enough and they don't pass your your membership test is is i mean it sounds like a very unnerd like thing to do i would actually yeah say. and you can also argue it's a band geek slash drama club move because you have to have some modicum of talent or some cult of personality aspect to, that lets you run around with the people who are always putting on coffin and heart plays and and i i i thought it's it's very typical of of people of a geeky or nerdly persuasion to want to assign hierarchies because if you take a look at the passions that drive people like Dungeons and Dragons or comic book collecting or, or Star Wars, there there's part of the appeal is, is this universe with internal consistent rules that allow you to make order of it. So it's an understandable impulse. I just think it's reprehensible when it comes to human nature. <laughs> and it, it also seems to be remarkably unself-conscious when, you know, come on, the part of being a geek or a nerd was you had a degree of ostracization, which led you to observe other social groups and see how they functioned. So why aren't you turning that onto your own little rules and strictures? What Oswald seems to be saying is that the, the reason that, that people got into these kind of geeky topics is because they were um, not really discussed and widely known. And, and I read that and thought that I don't think that's the case at all. I think that I, I think it was the reverse. I think that, I was interested in things that were narrower than than what other people were interested in, not because they were narrow, but be, just because I I, I like them. So my question is, yeah. you know, do do we like reading about, you know, hearing stories about about people on spaceships or on other planets because we're we're you know we want to be separate from the crowd, or just because we like that extra layer of kind of imagination that something like sci-fi or fantasy can give us that some stuff that's more literal wouldn't give us. I don't, I don't think Patton was saying that we like them because they're, they're narrow. Uh, his, the beginning part of that essay was all tangled up into these, these poorly supported and most uh, uh, conclusions that I totally disagree with. And then it veered off into this comedy thing. So it's hard to, right. <laughs> it's hard to get at what he was like trying to say, because he'd go from, from one paragraph to the next, he would just throw something out there completely unsupported, just, you know, saying it as if it's a fact, and then move on to his next point. And almost all those points... Probably works better spoken in a stand-up routine, I would think. But yeah, because then you can laugh, and you... But, you know, if you think about any of them, they don't stick. And, and that, You and, can sink into the rhythm, and it makes sense. And you're, and you're saying, like, you know, is it because they're narrow? You're trying to examine his earlier arguments as if they're, they're logically constructed and try to think of some sort of underlying 
that he might have in it. I, I think there's a decent argument here, which is, you know, do, do is nerd culture exciting because it gives the nerds something that only they know that the, that all the other people don't know, or is it just the way it is because that's the stuff that being nerdy, being geeky means you are interested in 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 these things, you know, just because you are, and it has nothing to do with excluding other people. I, I think it's a, a little bit. I think it's a little bit more. I don't know, a little bit more dire than that, in that I think the people who are geeks in high school are the people who are who don't have the tools or are not successful at the the, the social game that sort of defines high school, right? And for whatever reason, they're just uh, you know they're shy, they're they're awkward, they're they're insecure. They have some sort of problem that keeps them out of the larger social game that's the the the, the norm, right? And I think once you're out of that game, you need to find something else to to excel in or to be interested in, or you just have more time for other things. Now, I say that because I think that the the love for things that geeks like spaceships, robots, uh, you know, fantasy novels, stuff like that, that stuff is I pretty much evenly distributed across all kids of that age, I believe. But it only manifests in the people who are who who don't do well in the social structure of of that that time period of their lives and they you know dive right into it head first and and that ties back into Patton Oswalt's thing where he talks about the the dude in the gym who's got the Boba Fett thing on his sleeve who's lifting weights and he was the jock who was you know uh, beating you up in high school but now he thinks he can co-op Boba Fett and act like he's cool I think he liked Boba Fett just as much as you did he just wasn't is dedicated and obsessed with right. it in, in high school. And, and and that's what I think it is. I don't think it has to do with we're more interested in these topics than other people. You know, obviously there's, there's a, a spectrum there. It's just that we dedicated ourselves more to it because we didn't have other things to dedicate ourselves to, whether that's sports or relationships or anything like that. So, so this is the thing that we could master. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody else might just think it was cool. And I, I do, I really like what you said there because um, I think that there's truth in that, 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 you know, it's not that this stuff wasn't appreciated by lots of people. I, I really refute the idea. I'm not sure if anybody's actually made this accusation, but I felt a little of it coming from Oswald that, that, that the reason people like uh, stories about spaceships or, 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 or fantasy realms is because they've decided to retreat from reality. And that's the only reason you'd like them is because you're an outcast, which is just like, no wrong. Or you like them because they're, because they're narrowly. I mean, if anything, geeks, these geeks wanted to be part of the group. Why would they seek out something that took them away from the group? You know, they would just, it's just, that's just not the impulse. You know, they were, they were looking for any other kid who had played D&D with them, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I I I think I was just completely clueless when I think back to high school. I mean, when, when I put on that glow in the dark Doctor Who shirt, I was just like I thought it was I didn't think it was cool. It's just I liked it and so I wore it and I I think if I had been more aware of how to build up some more social standing, I would have known that that was a really bad idea and I figured that out much later. Uh, and denied all knowledge of the encyclopedic yeah, you, background you were of not Doctor six, Who. You were not able to successfully navigate the social structure of high school for whatever reason. You know, you just didn't have it. until it clicked, right? But but right, so it was almost cluelessness more than anything else. I didn't. I was like, well, I can master Doctor Who because nobody else will have me. It was more like I just. I was like, oh, this is cool. Not aware that it was so not cool. So and if you had found other Doctor Who fans, you would have been like, yes, you should. Let me tell you about Doctor Who. I love it, and I think you'll love it too. And that you know, you wouldn't like hoard it jealously as if you you, know, you wanted to like, no, you can't know about Doctor oh, Who. Oh God. Let let me tell you, John. There was another Doctor Who fan in my high school, and <laughs> he was was he your arch nemesis? No, no, he was the geekiest person at the high school. He, oh my god, he he was your stereotypical <laughs> a geeky guy, nerdy guy. He 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 kind of couldn't talk to people. He he was super um super uh, like science guy, and he actually wore he wore the Tom Baker scarf around. <laughs> all the time and 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 even i knew that was a faux pas socially so i couldn't i i couldn't bear to have any sort of alliance with him even though he was kind of a kindred kindred spirit and we occasionally he'd be like oh you like doctor who too and i'm like uh yeah i got a thing i gotta go because he was so far out there so i and i feel bad about it now but he it was just like no 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 that way lies madness so but but it wasn't because you felt like now that another person is interested in it it lessens the attraction of doctor who to me it didn't affect your attraction to Doctor Who at all. No, sadly it didn't. There was actually kind of a dividing line between geek experiences in high school versus college, um, where 
in high school, I, I agree with John that some of some of the 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 geek set, as it were, if you had to put the parentheses around them, certainly comes from not being able to navigate high school's rules and strictures, which I want to add is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but in college, I noticed a lot of geeks were very, very rigorous about reinforcing what they thought the parameters and boundaries of geek culture were, and they were very quick to throw you out of it or call you out as a fraud if you couldn't keep up with the code. Um or if you couldn't quote the Princess Bride with the group, then you were... Uh... If you couldn't answer Monty Python quote with a corresponding quote, or um, if you couldn't keep track of whether or not Jean Grey was alive or dead on a given day, or... <laughs> Which is hard. You know, for, for, for example, in high school, the guy who uh, passed me ElfQuest comic books in, in English class was also the school pot dealer. So he kind of moved back and forth between wow. all these different interests. So he could you could get your elf... You could hook you up with ElfQuest or with pot. <laughs> well, if you really like ElfQuest, I... I, I <laughs> I have to think there is a little bit of chemical influence I was going to say it's hard to say which one of those things is worse. Actually, if you smoke the pot, then the elf quest casts color. Say, that, is, that is a comic that makes a lot more sense. Like the hairdos all of a sudden start to come together. Um, whereas, again, in college, um, and again, this is, the people who were in Society for Creative Anachronism would have never, ever been caught dead hanging with the people who were doing homegrown pharmaceuticals. And again, you had the con crowd, which would darkly allude to, oh, that thing Harlan Ellison did back in 86, and they'd all cackle and then look at you like you're supposed to say, yes, it was terrible, when you could not have given two craps what Harlan Ellison may have done back in 1986. And since it's Harlan Ellison, the list is long. So um, it's it's the idea. Oswald refers to it as otaku, where it's, oh, it's this insular little world, and people can roll around in the minutia and you really master a subject. And John says, well, yeah, that's because you really have nothing else going on. And I thought, well, maybe it's kind of a form of, of hostility where you're like, oh, you've, you excluded me. Well, I'm just going to, just to show you, I'm going to master Elvish and write long sagas about how much you suck in Elvish. And is it, is it hostility? Make obscure references to Or is it, I mean, I, I, since I've got, um, I think it's defensiveness. I've got, a, you know, I've got two, I've got two, little kids you know you get kids kids kind of want to master something and and i think some of it is mm -hmm. that you know if if your world is kind of not understandable um you know as a kid you might you might memorize putting a, putting all the a framework around it is yeah all, all the kinds of trains yeah. or all the kinds of star wars cards or you know you can pick it it's like as a kid you don't this know is why pokemon and... is so popular is because exactly yeah and why pokemon so popular is because as a child you can figure out okay this is the classification system right this is part of the world i can understand these are the rules. This all makes sense. I can and become a master at this thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what drives sort of that that kind of geeky drive to to do that is sort of like to make sense yeah. of something and have some understanding and control over it. My main problem with this whole idea of geek culture is that it is somehow separate from normal culture, right? Because people are obsessed with a variety of things. Well, that's what Oswald says, right? He says, you know, right. people are geeking out over that Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. You know, that married to a baseball game. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, I think that so a lot of geek culture depends on technology and the written word, which is a form of technology, right? And so the only reason and I'm just thinking of this right now, so this may make absolutely no sense, but I think the only reason that sports is not considered geeky is because people have been doing it for so much longer. So it's just part of the culture and it's okay to like sports because we've been doing it since humans have been, you know, cognizant of being humans because, you know, you're running from a tiger or something and that then becomes a, a an event. That's playing sports, not being a sports fan. No, I, I saw an interview with the woman who um, – who got in the news because she wanted to wear her Star Trek uniform to when she was on a jury. I saw, yes. And, and what, she made a point that I have not been able to refute, which is, why is it weird for me to wear my Star Trek uniform, but it's not weird for a guy to wear a, a baseball team or a football team uniform to a baseball game? And it's like, well, you know, I think she's got a point there. It's true. That's I mean, I'm so confused. Like, let, let's take baseball, for example, not to, uh, you know, ostracize any particular uh -huh. members of this podcast, but I think baseball is probably the geekiest <laughs> sport oh, in yes. the world. It is. Right? Cause oh, yes, it's absolutely. An, it's incredibly boring. It's a numbers game. There are game. people who are not very athletic. It's like a board all, game. All, exactly. And then all the fans, fans are obsessed yeah. with statistics. Yes. You can't get geekier than that. Yeah, well, that's that's yeah. that's true. Oh, yeah. I I tell I, not not to take a little tiny peek into Lisa's private life, but Lisa is a member of our comic book club, and you know she goes she she will haunt local comic book stores, and her husband couldn't 
know the well he does now know more about comic books because his wife has has taught him well but yes. um you know and so you can have that moment of offense it's like why there aren't that many women who appreciate comics and this guy he's not worth but you know her lisa's husband loves baseball and that's one of the things that and he does have kind of that geeky streak it just runs to different things and you could argue that baseball his appreciation for baseball is really no different than lisa's appreciation for comic books although i'm sure he would beat me up if no. i told him that Actually, no. I think we've we've actually come to the agreement that they're pretty parallel. Um, and I've also known people who have managed to have, uh, for lack of a better word, parallel geeky passions. For example, my brother, who also has a comics podcast, strangely enough, um, is a comic book fan. He's also a classical musician. and He's very, very passionate about um, Wagner. So my brother is, an, is a Wagner opera geek, as well as being a massive geek about the flash series in well, dc comics imagine how hard it would be to get into so, that into that little uh little circle the wagner circle you say one wrong thing you mention a brahms instead <laughs> oh, of wagner, oh my out. god they're horrible and, and no classical know, music people are are just it the, 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 that's a whole that's a whole different game i mean i i am humbled by what those people know because it's the classical it's just, music people <laughs> We are. So, so we what are. Is, what, what, I mean, because they they go they talk about things that happened in the 1800s like it was yesterday. It's amazing. It's a fascinating subculture. One of the things that Pat Oswalt talks about that um, I think I think is an interesting point, which is, you know, when you're in. I mean, we all we grew up in very different environments, and you know, East Coast and West Coast, and big cities and small towns. Um, and but one thing that the internet has done is eliminated the sense that you are the only or one of a small group of people who who is interested in anything right they're, they're what used to be it's just me or it's just two or three people you go on the internet now and you realize it's not just you it's you and like a thousand or ten thousand other people which um you know I, I i do feel like oswald's right when he says you know we'll never again have that feeling of kind of like near isolation that i discovered this thing because now you can go out there yeah. and get the faq that tells you everything you need to know about that thing and a, a mailing list that's got ten thousand people on it but that isolation is a bad thing though I agree the isolation is bad. I mean, that's what spawns those groups that are so hostile to outsiders, because if you go through that experience where, where, it's, where you're ostracized in high school and, and, you have, and you get a chip on your shoulder, that when you finally meet up with more like people in college, you'd be more inclined to make an exclusive group that is hostile to outsiders and so on and so forth. Whereas I think the internet is breeding a that's what I've been saying. Yeah. series of geeks. Uh -huh. I think the geeks that are growing up today oh, yeah. have the benefit of not having that horrible experience because they don't have, they can never even imagine that they're alone and that by the time they get older, they won't have that, you know, sort of chip on their shoulder that they want to seek out revenge or exclude people the way they were excluded. And that's why I think you see geek culture spreading so much because the people who are growing up in the age of the internet don't have these problems and it becomes more normal. Everybody plays video games. If we had, I should put in the show notes uh, for this, the Penny Arcade strip, uh, when was it? Way back in 2001 where they did a strip about ads for the original PlayStation and the ads were advertising to basically what looked like, you know, uh, hip-happening, good-looking teenagers, the people that who actual video gamers hated, and that's who Sony was advertising to. Mm -hmm. the, the games were going mainstream, and they had a problem with that, too. Like, wait a second, these guys weren't, you know, playing NES in, in the basement with me. They were out uh, playing football. Why did they get to be part of games? Well, that sort of democratization mm -hmm. of geek culture, I think, well, is, is a, a result of it becoming clear that this is not a, a, you know, a niche thing. It's kind of like when you had all these little islands of people who are, you know, their own geeks in their own high schools, they could imagine that they were the only ones. But once you start connecting those people, they sort of like look around and see each other and, and rise up, you know, yes. it's like a, a rebel force that's kept separate. Once they're joined together, you know, they, they can uh, cohere and do something as a group. Bicker amongst each other. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that that's part of it. But that's, I mean, people arguing about, you know, Jets versus Giants or whatever, you know, in your high school the entire time you're there. Sports teams, constant struggles with that. But no one is arguing over, you know, D&D &D versus AD&D &D, except for you and your two friends, right? Yeah. Well, not at my high school, but I went to an incredibly geeky high school, so. Yeah, it, it really, it, I was going to say that at the beginning, it really does depend on where you've grown up. Because I've talked to a lot of people and the experience varies wildly. Some people go to, like, you know, schools for gifted children where everybody's playing D&D &D and, you know, it's it's not a big deal and stuff like that. And other people, like, they're the one guy in Idaho who has ever uh, heard of D&D, &D, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was saying, as I was listening to our, our role-playing podcast, that 
that I uh, I was the guy who had all the uh, books and stuff and could never get a game together because there weren't enough people. Yeah, there were not enough people in your entire school. See, it honestly never occurred to me that D&D was nerdy, and the reason is... Uh, no, I'm... <laughs> well, well, that, I... well, where, did you, where did you grow up? Xavier no, School for the Gifted? No, actually, <laughs> no, it's the, the, it's the U.S. Navy, because my dad brought D&D into the house, and my dad used to go out on nuclear subs, because he was... Um, he worked. He was a sonar engineer, and so he would go out on nuclear subs and do sea trials for weeks at a time. And D and D was actually huge among Navy submarine crews. And then it worked its way into the defense contractor for to defense contractor workforce, and they brought it home to their families. And wow. so when I grew up, and so when I was in middle school, my dad helped me roll a couple characters, and he'd have me play with the guys in the Navy, and he would play my character for me on lunch breaks. And I never thought of it as nerdy. I just thought of it. It was it was something that people just did. And it was it wasn't until we, I switched high schools that I realized that no, this is actually considered kind of weird. So, <laughs> and this is why all new nuclear submarines are equipped with magic missiles. Thank you, yeah. and good night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is why there's a paladin on every crew. <laughs> but uh, well, when you think about it, it's it's I, I don't know if TSR actually went after the submarine audience or if it was like a happy accident. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that was part of their marketing plan. <laughs> submarine on crews, that's where we have to concentrate. I I, I want to think that. They did. It be, because honestly, because honestly, it should have been. You've got a group of people who are underwater for three to six months out of the year. Captive audience, all men. I don't think that's a big market, though. Really, you know, they already love it. They are already loving or wealthily with rank and capriciousness. So you know, why not give them a game that lets them work on that? I mean, because it gets boring down there, and uh, these guys liked being able to have the, the games, the, both the structure they provided, and the room for improvisation. It, it's like a, it was like a perfect marriage of uh, entertainment and audience. I, I do think that the um, that the the democratization of geek culture is a good thing. I mean, you look at com- something like Comic Con that that began as as a very niche thing, and you know what is Comic Con now? I, I went for oh, the it's first an time. Showcase. Yeah, I uh-huh. went for the first time last year, and it, it's. It's you know a little bit on the geeky side, and you still got your your areas that are comics focused. But you know there there are people cast members from TV shows that have no even remote connection to geek culture who are there. And and but I think it's a good thing that the fact that you know Entertainment Weekly does stories about things that are happening in comics. Um, you know the fact is Star Wars changed. I think. Um, the way our culture views science fiction, and we can argue about the, the you know the pros and cons of Star Wars. Star Wars isn't like serious science fiction that you read in a novel, but the fact is now every summer blockbuster basically is sci-fi or or uh, superhero or fantasy or something like that, and and it's changed the way that the the general culture views those kind of stories. It's no longer you know not to say everybody's rushing out and buying serious sci-fi novels but it it's it's changed you know it's changed the way we view that kind of genre because it's the it is the genre for for film if not for tv and books it is for film i wonder how much of that has to do with um we're still de- grappling with the fact that the, that the american frontier is closed in a way cuz when you think about it um if you look at the trajectory of, of, of popular attitudes over the 20th century, at the very beginning of the 20th century, one of the American identity crises was the fact that there were no more territories to homestead and, and the frontier was closed. We'd hit the Pacific. You know, Alaska was, was already more – Alaska was, was basically the end of the line, as it were. And there was a wave of popular culture that lasted through about the 1930s where, where people were trying to figure out what it meant as a country once you literally ran out of room to explore – and um, in a way, outer space, especially from the 50s on, outer space provided a way for us to take that, that urge for, for frontier exploration and conquest and cast it wider. And I wonder how much of that we're, we're still feeling because we're such a small and interconnected world right now, thanks to the Internet. And it does feel like it's a it, it does feel like a tiny planet in many ways. I mean, we, we can all look at protests that are going on in Libya in ways that would have been just a five minute snippet on the news even 20 years ago. And so because the world feels small and it feels very easy to master, maybe we're all looking again, we're casting our eye outward because we all still have that urge for exploration and frontiers. And the idea that you can hop on a spaceship and find something else is tremendously appealing and be uh, some adventure and plus explosions. It was the advance of technology that helped with that. Because be- before you had cowboys, right? Because that was the technology we had. And then you had jungle adventures exploring Africa, right? But as soon as we got 
more technology that you went right from the cowboy becomes the jungle adventurer becomes the astronaut. It's just the 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 vehicle they ride on, the tools they use to do their job, but it's all someone exploring. So I don't know if it turned us geeky as it just the thing the geeks were into. Like if you were if you were a kid, you know, decades ago, you would be into Roy Rogers because cowboys were the best guys. Or maybe you'd be into, you know, the, the British explorers exploring the, you know, the lost continent and the jungles of Africa. Um, but then as soon as someone gets on a rocket, that's it. That's, you know, they, all those kids just switch immediately from the jungle explorer, from the cowboy to this. And then, and then, but now it changes genres. Now it's sci-fi, right? Now it's not, it, whereas cowboys weren't sci-fi because they were real cowboys and jungle explorers weren't, even though the jungle explorers, you know, were always finding dinosaurs or whatever, that, that was, they didn't call it science fiction then, but it was just the tech that you sprinkle technology on it and people think it changes into a different thing. But it's exactly the same story as, you know, people kids fantasizing about knights in the middle ages you know it's the same thing yeah well there's all, all of the stories that you mentioned have this element of I, i've left the strictures of society and i am free to write my own narrative and to blaze a path that other people will have to follow and it's just like you said the technology's changed uh there's a pretty telling moment up when you think about it because that is a whole lot of i'm going to explore in the jungle and i'm going to discover new species and boy won't people be impressed when i bring it back and if that's not a form of geekery, which which has the element of, boy, won't be, people be impressed by my mastery? Because there is some of that. Right. You know, it all goes back to seven-year-olds who want to make sense of the planet. It goes back to geeks who want to set up a hierarchy of, uh, you know, who who is the, the quite sad Tatarak of, uh, you know, the local high school. Uh, it all goes back to... Uh, Boy, you'll all be sorry. I'll <laughs> I'll show right, you. Right. You know, this world has nothing for me. I will dream yes. of other worlds that That's, are. Yeah. They called me mad at the academy. At Xavier's academy. <laughs> Plus Zeppelins. Oh, I did. I did grow up in Westchester. So. You did grow yeah. up in Westchester. Well, I, I did, did you ever run into Kitty Pride? How's she doing? Uh, she ran through me. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Scott may have actually gone to that school from what I've heard of his childhood where <laughs> yeah. everyone's playing D&D and they're all, you know, just geeking out 24 hours a day. Yes. That's right. It was it was paradise. My mutant power. We don't want to know what his power was. <laughs> it was it was not. One of the one of the things when I think back um to the stuff I was interested in in high school and that that sort of experience, I actually think the thing that amazes me now um, is that these things are celebrated in ways that I didn't realize. And I think that, uh, I think that's true. It has to do with feeling at the time, like maybe there were some people who were interested in this stuff, but basically it was just me. And there was, it was sort of that feeling of isolation, like, God, why does nobody else care about this stuff? And, and you look at it now and like, the, you know, there's that, uh, the Weezer song in the garage, which is basically like ticking off all the boxes of everything that's a geeky person in the, in the seventies or eighties would be into, um, you know, and, and, you know, they bring back Dr. Who and break. I, I, there are like regular people who are like, Oh, I love the new Dr. Who. And it's like, uh, the new Dr. Who. Well, I'll, let me tell you about the they old don't know Dr. it's Who. the new Dr. Who. Though. They don't know. They, no, they don't. They just think it's Dr. Who. It's <laughs> this new show it, that's yes. on. Uh, yes. I tried to explain to my mother that it was on in the 60s, and I blew her mind. Yeah, William oh. Hartnell. Yes, it came on right after the Kennedy assassination. She said, no, this is a new show. I just started watching it. Oh, yeah. So, so, but now, so that that's the thing that kind of amazes me, and I, I'm heartened by that. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's great that, that these are things that, because it, it, the bottom line for me was that I appreciated those kinds of stories and those kind mm. of worlds, and actually sort of felt sad that more people didn't like them because they were so interesting and cool and why wouldn't you like them and one of the nice things about being in a connected world like we are is that you can see that um, other people not only do you find other people who like them but i think it also disseminates more and people who wouldn't you know be into it my wife wasn't into sci-fi or anything like that but but she loves some of the sci-fi tv and doctor who and things like that and it's like you know yeah see it is good it is really I wasn't yeah. wrong. I wasn't crazy. Yeah, it's actually kind of a reverse effect because you say, like, why weren't those people into sci-fi? And like I said before, I don't think it's because that they didn't like spaceships and didn't like lightsabers or swords or anything like that. I think it's because the, that subject matter became linked with the people who were bad at high school. Uh. And you, you didn't want to associate with those people. And therefore, you, even though you watch Star Wars a lot and you loved it, you're not going to wear the Star Wars shirt to school or admit that you really like Star Wars. You may like it even more than that geeky guy just because you know that that would push you down in social standing. Um, and and that's why all these people didn't like it. Did you say bad at high school? 
Yes. <laughs> I've actually been surprised by how many of my girlfriends who are soror- who were so- former sorority sisters. I've been surprised at how many of them are completely fluent in Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, I know a lot of women who know that show inside and out, who are, like, the, the, who are the last people you'd think of as geeky. And yet they can discourse at length on, on different Starfleet captains and rank them in order of preference. And it's just, it's delightful. You know, that, that was one of my, that was one of those, those moments where I realized that, that, that geekiness was not, um, was not a lonely pursuit anymore, was that in college, we had groups of people who watched, I remember... I remember oh, going yeah. to basically a party for the Deep Space Nine premiere where there were oh, like I went to one. 20 yeah, people great. and and it was yeah. like more than half women and everybody's uh-huh. like cheering about, you know, when Picard appears in his cameo or whatever. And, and that was when I realized, wow, this is not, you know, me in my room by myself watching Star Trek. This is like yeah. – Everybody. In your captain's uniform. In my well, I never had a captain's <laughs> uniform, sadly. Yeah. But my parents did buy me an Enterprise from the Franklin Mint, oh, which yeah. I still have. When I was in grad school, I shared a house with six other people, and two of them were going through the MBA program, and they were also heading up the rowing team on the MBA program. So you're talking cool. about two incredibly athletic, wow. very stereotypical B school students. And there was a math PhD who was kind of not really living in this world because he was living in his beautiful numbers planet, and. Uh, an architect and an engineer and a recent Russian immigrant and I, and we would get together every Sunday night and watch Star Trek The Next Generation together. It was like this big family dinner type of thing. We'd cook for each other and sit down. And bear in mind, we barely had two things to say to each other the rest of the week. But every Sunday night, come hell or high water, all of us were sitting in that living room with our plates balanced on our laps, talking all the way through the show and watching it. It was just this really social experience. Next Generation it, it, was a, was a, a real... Um... It was the perfect show for that, and it was really yeah. kind of broadening effect of uh, you know because people Star Trek had permeated the culture a lot with the, the the reruns had been out there for all that time and kids had grown up with them and then there were the movies and it the yeah. way the show was done you know it was it wasn't really heavily serialized it was really pretty accessible the characters where you could get the characters and it was a good show and I think yeah. you put all those things together and 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 a lot of people. Even now, you mentioned Star Trek The Next Generation, and people are like, oh, yeah, and they can tick off episodes. And it's kind of amazing Uh how broad that show ended up uh, being and how broad its reach was. Oh, yeah. But uh, isn't isn't the difference between – so – and I don't know if this is true or not. I think it's an artificial difference. But he – Patton Oswalt is making a difference between pop culture and geek culture, right? I think the only difference is that of how deep you go into something, right? So you can be – you can enjoy Star Trek – and that may be a geeky thing unto itself, but I don't think liking Star Trek is geeky. But really, like I have right. behind me 6,000 Star Trek, the collectible card game cards. That is geeky. That is geeky. So, so if I said to you, well, you know, not only do I like the episode where Picard is trapped on the alien planet with the other captain, but then I say, well, it's Darmok. And it's like, okay, that's another level. And then I say, well, you know, the alien captain was played by Paul Winfield, who also played the captain of the Reliant in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Exactly. And I already knew that. And so we're we through are the both... rabbit hole. Exactly. And, and, and written by Joe Minoski, who ended up being a producer on Star Trek Voyager, which was not a very good show, by the way. But are there limits to this? Because what you're talking about, these different levels <laughs> of involvement, what if it's Twilight we're talking about, where there's somebody who's who's gone through and Or Harry Potter. Right, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the recurring members of our little podcast crew here wrote Harry Potter fan fiction. I mean, that's not Harry po- Potter is a massive mainstream success. Twilight is a massive success, but there's a major amount of geekery that well, goes on. But the thing is, uh, and maybe here I go groping towards a unified theory. One of the things about geekery always comes back to it. It seems like the subjects that tend to attract geeks tend to have incredibly consistent internal rules and order. And if you take a look at Harry Potter, you're talking about a woman who filled up notebooks and spent about 10 years thinking about this universe in her head while she was writing it and has had spreadsheets for God's sake, where she, she wrote out chronology, you know, people's genealogies and what happened after the books ended and things like that. So she had this universe with incredibly consistent internal histories and rules and, I think for for geeks being able to decode that and saying I understand the universe as it was created by somebody else is is part of the appeal. So what I'm wondering is if you can say, well, this person's really into Twilight, but they're never ever going to be geeky about Twilight because it doesn't have the same baseline geek criteria of a complicated internal system that can still be grasped by outsiders, or it doesn't have the same um, you know entry level code phrases or or knowledge that that people exchange to to figure out who's in and who's not. 
Uh, basically, I'm wondering if some things are just never going to be geeky, no matter your level of engagement. They don't have because, the depth to, to yeah. yeah well, to sustain- you're just saying Twilight is a shallow book series, and I'll agree. There's never anything world building and then writing like a you know a trashy teenage romance vampire book. Yeah, there's only you can't you can only dig so deep until you hit the bottom of the thing, right? And so if, yeah. if there's depth, then you can get into it. Um, so depth but, breeds geekery in a way, maybe. Well, is, I mean, just think of it. We were talking about like you know if you are the the Star Trek casual Star Trek watcher or the Star Trek geek. Sports is yeah. the best example because everybody's some kind of sports fan. Like if you just vaguely oh pick a team from your hometown, I'm a Red Sox fan or whatever. But that yeah. goes so deep in terms of like, can you name the ERAs of the of the last 27 starting pitchers of your favorite team? People can rattle that like that rabbit hole goes yeah. way down farther than you know Harry Potter, farther than even Tolkien, anything like that. Because sports yeah. has been around forever, and there is so much to know. I don't know about farther down than Tolkien, actually. Well, uh, if you don't, <laughs> that, think that, of, that hole goes down pretty far too. But think oh of how God, many years yeah. people have been playing baseball in this country, and how many stats there are in every single one of those players, and it's how true. many like management moves and trades, and just like there's just there's just too many numbers. Well, it's not it's not just the numbers too, John. It, with baseball, you've got the um, there's like the Society for American Baseball Research, and there's this group called Retro Retro Sheet, and they actually do things like pull out the microfilm from newspapers from the 1800s and and piece together play by play of games that didn't yeah. have modern box scores and i mean so so it's yeah it, you can go and they can't just make stuff down. up they have to go off reality token at least could do world building and he could just make stuff up right. they they're saying we've got you know, hundreds of years of actual history of every single out and every single game and every single player and what they did and what you can know about them and the dramas between the teams and moving teams from state to state there's no fanfic in baseball there it was fantasy baseball, you know. This, you know, oh, what if you got, what if you got these people from this team and put the greats of every era combined? But you know, there was no designated hitter, but the pitchers so, were allowed to use balls. That makes a, that makes a really great point because while I've been sitting here detailing off ways in which I was an incredibly geeky person in high school, which I'm sure comes as no surprise to anybody, um, one of the other things that I did in high school was I was in a dice baseball league. And we played, we had a league, we had players, it was based on a, a game called Sports Illustrated Baseball, but it was all, you had little player cards and you had dice. So I didn't have D&D, but I had fake baseball. And we would play at lunchtime and we would play baseball games. And so that was a sports geeky thing. But if you took the sports part out of it, why couldn't it have been Dungeons and Dragons? Except I was Babe Ruth instead of, uh, you know, a paladin with my plus two sword. Yeah, you'll find that the GURPS rule set is very flexible. <laughs> you can apply it to baseball very easily. Excellent. Did I have to make a saving throw to catch the the line drive? I'm sure someone has made a role playing game based on baseball. So. And a collectible card game. It's true. Google, Google it. Uh, but if I Google it, Pat and Oswalt will be mad at me. Well, they had actual <laughs> baseball cards, of course. You've cracked the otaku. How dare you break into their perfect sealed world? Yeah, I don't know. I, I keep coming back to that. I don't know how seriously I can take any of that because. Fifty percent through that article, it goes off into just a comedy routine. Yeah. So how can you, so can you take the first part seriously at all? <laughs> it's almost like just like this elaborate setup. You know, well, I think it poses here. an interesting question, even if he is not entirely taking it seriously, right? I mean, the, the, I I was fascinated by the idea that you know are 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 geeky things geeky because nobody cares about them, you know, or not? And it has it been has the internet ruined being a geek? Which I don't think is true, but I think it's an interesting question. The whole article it could be summed up with "Get off my lawn," right? You you kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't even he doesn't even commit to that it's it's more like a troll it's like let me say something that i know will get people riled up because i myself don't agree with it and then continue on to my comedy routine it's 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 formed like a pretty classic internet troll where, you, where i just don't get the feeling that he believes any of it but he says ridiculous controversial things that will get people riled up but then just says, oh never mind it's just a comedy routine so john zombie spaceship or wasteland yeah i have that as my, and my question here we have to go around the room i you know you should know which one i am i'm apocalypse Hundred okay. percent. So you're on the ter- the the territory, the apocalypse. Everyone, everyone but me must die. Yes. Have you read the road? Speaking of yes. mainstream yes, books I, that I that could be argued road. as being genre, the road is oh. a great great book. It's dark. Ooh, boy, it's yeah. dark. But I love it. But you know, that's a mainstream. That was an Oprah book club selection book. That yeah. is in. It, you cannot say that it's not. Uh, you know, science fiction essentially, right? Or or, or of that kind of thing, right? Well, it could have used some quote characters. I thought. Well, Cormac McCarthy writes in the way that he writes, and he doesn't yeah, no, no comments. I think they got on Oprah's book club because they don't dwell on the science fiction topic, and it's more of a character study, and that stuff is just background, so it gets buys people buys people's radar because they're not, they're not interested in what happened to the world. Whereas the sci-fi fan are like, 
if you want to tell me about the world now, I will accept a chapter of exposition, but it never comes. Yeah, but I was okay with that. I mean, I, I love that it was just in a different world. And oh, yeah, no, I, I liked it, too. I'm just saying that we have a high tolerance for that type of thing, whereas Oprah's Book Club, who just wants to, you know, see the wrenching human drama that happens. You know, Dan Morin, because we have to mention him, even if he isn't on the podcast, he's written two books of a, I think, trilogy, hopefully. Uh, Oprah fan fiction? That are, wit- that are Oprah fan fiction, yes. <laughs> Got it, Scott. You, you Oprah stride the post-apocalyptic landscape. Yeah, it's Oprah in the post-apocalypse. That's no, our he- real future. Don't kid yourself. That's right. It's Oprah. Well, we overthrow Oprah and create the apocalypse. That's how that happens. But no, Dan's written a couple novels that are in an apocalyptic wasteland. So you should uh, he, see if he'll uh, he'll let you look at him. Although being hypercritical, you might he might be afraid. I've asked a few times. He doesn't want anyone to see. Uh, it. Okay, fair enough. And except for you, Scott. Yeah, yeah there are a couple people, but yeah, I feel honored now. Z- zombie spaceship wasteland, Scott. Did you just call me Zod? <laughs> I'm kneeling. <Neil> before. <laughs> Uh, I, I think, it, obviously, I am a spaceship. You are a spaceship. I am a spaceship. Come aboard. And feel I was going to put you on, on Apocalypse after all your tales of uh, antisocial gaming behavior with geeks, but maybe that's just one aspect of your life. <laughs> that I am I am only uh, that mean when I am a DM. Or a player, I guess. <laughs> when you're playing. Or, no. or doing anything in my life, really. All right, but. so spaceship. Spaceship, yes. Faraway places and adventures on worlds not before seen. I guess. I don't know. I don't even know if I uh, am... I'm, I think I'm against this classification, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, well, I think yeah, we I need know. to have a be- better definition. Since we heard what the, uh, the spaceship one was, Apocalypse one I just guessed at is that you want everyone else dead. Uh, it's, 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 society has broken down, the afterscape has happened, and your job is to roam the landscape, avoiding the avoiding the bands of people who want petrol and uh, and want to eat. How is flesh. that? How is that not zombie though? How how is that different from zombie? I believe zombie is uh, everybody else is a zombie, and it's you versus nature. Whereas apocalypse is there's nothing. You're on your own. You it's 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 you looking around at the the broken carcass of society and laughing manically to yourself as you master it. Huh. That was that was my take. So so Lisa, zomb- zombie spaceship or wasteland? Well, I've you know I've actually thought about this question since reading the original essay, and I was the kid who really loved the mis- mixed up files of Basley Miss Basley Frank Waller because of the fantasy of living in a museum. Like when I was little, I used to fantasize that someday a comet will wipe everybody out and I can live in the Smithsonian. And um, then I will admit the stand is beach reading because I kind of love the ooh, it's a plague and the world empties out and we'll see what yeah, happens. You were an apocalypse person with me, definitely, because the stand was my first favorite book. Oh my god, I love that book still. Um, but I have to admit, there's actually also something tremendously appealing about the whole spaceship. I've I've stocked my little vessel and I'm off in search of new adventures. Uh, type, type are of deal. Awesome. Yeah. So. Um, a Zeppelin is just a spaceship that's lower. Uh, that's right. It's a broken spaceship. As cheesy as it sounds, as cheesy as it sounds, I think having a baby may have actually shifted me from the, the, the wasteland metaphor over to the spaceship metaphor, possibly because I feel better about putting a baby on a spaceship than I do strapping her to my back and moving across the wasteland. She could end up as Superman, you know. <laughs> that's, that's what happens when you put a baby on a spaceship. Anything can happen. That's true. So, Jason... Jason, are you a zombie, a spaceship, or uh, whatever the other one was? Well, a wasteland. Wasteland. Uh, I'm on. I think I'm on the spaceship. I, I I'm on the spaceship. Like I said, a zeppelin is just a spaceship that hasn't reached orbit yet. Uh, mm-hmm. But definitely, the uh, I w- I wrote a piece for the late great um, website TV that we used to do um, about about Stargate when it first came on. And that that's a franchise that, as many do, degraded over time. But one of the things... Hello, I, Stargate Universe! Oh, one of the, one of the <laughs> things I loved... Well, Stargate Universe was better than the other spinoff. But, um, and John Scalzi was involved, and I like his books, so I, uh-huh. I was charitable toward it. But, um, uh-huh. but the original Stargate, what I loved about it, was something that I, I felt like even Star Trek had lost after they built up too much of the universe and you weren't out on the fringes anymore. Which was with Stargate, it just had that barest of, of and there's no spaceship, by the way, but still it had that, that idea that they turned this device on and you took a step through it and you were on another planet and you didn't know what adventure awaited you there and you'd never been there before. And uh, that is 
tremendously appealing. That was the thing. Mm. You know, that show ended up being there's a conspiracy and a government bureaucracy and all of these just things that just destroy. And they did get a spaceship at one point. Just yeah. terrible. But but when it was the purity of just, you know, we, we've got a gadget that will let us step through to other planets and we'll have adventures there. I love that. That that kind of pure concept. And anything that includes MacGyver. How is that not sliders? And MacGyver. Yes. And, and that's what it had over sliders. And, and also, here's here's <laughs> another thing that was great about sliders was, well, sliders was cheesier than Stargate. My wife loves Stargate. And I've only seen one episode of Stargate. And I thought it was awful. But I have, <laughs> well, I have been told that I saw a bad episode. I, sort I, would, of, I would say that at least half of them are awful because the show lasted like 10 years. And only the first five were really any good. I saw one where they traveled back to the 60s or something. And, yeah. Uh, so a future podcast topic, we should talk about sci- sci-fi actors and why some actors are permanently left in, a, in, in, in the sci-fi circuit. Yeah, while managed yeah to well, out. I mean, speaking of Stargate, because you ended up with the characters from uh, – or the actors from Farscape. Farscape, Which yeah, is a ben lovely Browder. show. And Ben Browder and yeah. Claudia Black both ended up on Stargate. Gate, and I felt like really, you know, Ben Browder, I, I thought he was a really good leading man, and he ne- kind of never made it out of the ghetto, whereas yeah. uh, Nathan Fillion got out uh-huh. of the ghetto and is now, oh, I'm on Castle. Castle, yeah. <laughs> or, or Adam Baldwin, who Which seems to have bounced both in and out. His shows, right? Castle. You love Castle, don't you, John? You think he got out of a ghetto? I think he went deeper into a worse ghetto. He's into a worse neighborhood. Would you rather be on a hit sci-fi show with a cult following or a like C-grade? Nobody watches it. It's not a nobody. Or no, I actually no. watch Castle. He's on the velvet. He, it's the velvet <sighs> coffin, John. He's Castle yeah. keeps Castle's got ratings. It keeps getting renewed, and you know what that means? It means Nathan Fillion's gonna pretty soon. He's gonna have enough money to buy the rights to fire. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, it's a procedural. Awesome. Everybody loves procedurals. Yeah, well, Adam Baldwin sort of bounced in and out because uh, you know people were like, "Oh, it's Animal Mother," and then he was in Firefly, and now he's on Chuck, which is kind of a oh, geeky but, show. But that's a big it's step a- down. Yeah. <laughs> compare those characters. I think I've said this before. Compare his two characters. Which is the better character? If you were an actor, would you be happier playing Jane or playing whatever the heck that guy's Casey. name is on Chuck? Casey, John Casey. See, this is hard because they get, and I, I feel like this is geek heresy, which is where I get thrown off the podcast. I'm not a huge Firefly fan, so oh, it's hard thank for me you. to This podcast is over. This podcast is over. <laughs> no, two, two out of four people agree. Firefly, oh. not so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm wounded. Firefly is not bad sci-fi. Good. Sci-fi. I've always suspected that if there were like a League of Lady Geeks, I'd be kicked out just because I've never really connected with any of Whedon's stuff. But, uh, you know, it's it's... I- it's, it's I would also be kicked out of the League of Lady Geeks for the same reason. <laughs> for just that reason, Just right? that reason. No other reason? No, so. <laughs> Yeah, because there's, there's this new... Are you guys aware that there's a site called The Mary Sue that just launched and it's supposed to be a celebration of women and geeks and geeky lady culture? Oh, I had not heard of that. I yeah, it's called... It. It's called the Mary Sue, and and this it actually ties into this topic because I get the sense it's trying very hard in a way. Mm. Um, uh, uh, but the, I think there's post. something to the case that, that there is a sort of new generation of of women. I mean, I alluded to that point with um, like Doctor Who. I've introduced uh-huh. lots of women friends of mine to the new Doctor Who, and they've generally loved it. And it's a lot been a lot of the same people who love Buffy. And, and, you know, part of that is my just shock that there are, are women watching genre shows because, of course, yeah. when I was in high school, we, hello, girls, anywhere, hello. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but I, so I think there is something to that. In fact, to the point now yeah. where I think there is a probably a whole subculture of, um, of woman-oriented um, geeky stuff. And, yeah. and knowing you, Lisa, I am not surprised uh-huh. that you might uh, kind of lift an eyebrow at some of that stuff. Probably, and, and and I think it's probably just maybe a function of age. Get off my lawn, um, if what is so great about everybody's lawns that they don't want people on them? <laughs> they are our lawns, not yours. So get off. We've them. mastered the lawn. I know where every. I know the history of every kind of blade of grass yeah. that's on it. I think. That, I think. I think the objection I have to 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 self-consciously positioning lady geek as a genre is I, I is is it's using ge- it's using ge- gender as a differentiator. And um, the reason I object to that is because you're instantly setting it up where a, if A, not B, one has – they're they're working in opposition to each other. And so that implies one is better than the other either by virtue of exclusion or by virtue of, of the other. I mean it goes back to Simone de Beauvoir and, and gender theory and all that. And I just have to raise the question, why why bother gendering your nerds as it were? 
Well, and if, you know. if Scott wants to watch Sanctuary on the Sci-Fi Channel, why should it matter that he's a guy? Yeah, yeah. because I have to be honest. Growing up, one of the, one of the only ways I talked to boys growing up, to be honest, was was because we could talk about things like Dungeons and Dragons or the science fiction books we were all reading or comic books or things like that. Um, that was that was common ground where I felt comfortable discussing it with him. And I would hate to think of this stuff being you know thrown into a gender ghetto one way or another. Um, and it honestly, as a five-year-old getting into Star Blazers and Battlestar Galactica, which like aired back to back on oh, some Blazers. TV. Oh, Star it's Blazers! It's coming back. Oh, I think it's going to be on TV again. They're bringing it back on TV. I hope so. I would love to. I haven't seen that in years. Yeah. I would love to see how it matches up. But it never. Terrible, I, but boy, I don't. Yeah. It. You know, it, it never occurred to me at five that I wasn't supposed to like these shows about outer space, or or that they were boys' shows or girls' shows. They were simply things that I was interested in, and I get kind of uncomfortable with attaching gender labels to it because I feel like you know you're trying you're sticking people in a box, or you're you're celeb- or if you're like, oh, this is a site for girl geeks, what that suggests is that it's not normal to be a girl who's into geeky things. And so you're you're either you know subliminally enhancing this sense of, of abnormality people have, or you're trying to create a sense of anxiety that something is or isn't normal. So they're just so trying to they, cash they, in on the lady geeks. Yeah, they totally are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you chicks will read anything. You went for Harry Potter. Yeah. So that's why they put David Tennant in Doctor Who, right? Oh, I he doesn't do it for me. So, Me you know, can't connect with that now. He, well, I've got, there's a picture on my Flickr account of my wife standing in front of his costume at the Doctor Who Experience London. But yeah, it, it, he, it and God bless her for he that, for you her. know, different, he, he diff, does it you know, different strokes. Too. And mine. No, different strokes, different yeah, folks. But I don't, it's, think, it's, I don't think they cast him because the ladies liked him. I mean, he, oh, he is he, a good actor. There's, there's something to that. If you look at all the shows that, that, uh, that women tend to like in that obviously I was going to say before that the gender thing about the girl geeks and boy geeks is it's kind of shorthand. It's the other way. It's cause and effect is the other way is that there are things that typically women like, uh, uh more than men, uh, you know, interpersonal relationships instead of power fantasies mm-hmm. or, you know, just uh, hard sci-fi or whatever dialogue characters. Yeah. And then they take any show <laughs> that had, that has those elements strongly in it. And they say, Oh, now this is girl. This is a girl's fantasy because, and doesn't, but it's, you know, it's works both ways. It's like guys like that too. It's just, you know, it's a continuum of one direction or the other. So as soon as you cross over that line of having just too much love interest or too much, you know, uh, uh, personal drama or emotion and stuff and not enough explosions or teleportation yeah. or, you know, stuff like that, then it becomes a girl fantasy. And then you're like, hey, if we market this and put it in a pink box, we can say it's, you know, it's it's a girl fantasy thing when really it's just a sci-fi story with less of one thing and more of another. Yeah. Well, yeah, Joss, Joss Whedon, I mean, um, not to get back to him, but, you know, he's a... No, he, he's got he, a reputation for being a girl geek. Well, he's got thing. he's got a feminist message and everything he does, and he has strong women characters, and, and, yeah. and the women like his shows, and that's that's fine. But at the, at the same time, you know, Firefly had great women characters, but it, it had a male lead. Buffy had a female lead. Um, but as a guy who discovered Buffy, I mean, there's something for everyone in that show. Buffy... Buffy not unattractive, and many of the other women women on that show were were, were quite attractive, and the, there were male kind of geek wish fulfillment characters like Xander in particular. So you know he had something for everyone. Uh, and again, so why yeah why draw the lines? I, I do think sometimes it's well, it's kind I, of I would crass. say like Buffy, uh, Buffy and even Firefly, you could say I could almost pushed over into if you had to label them girl geek or boy geek, you label them girl geek because all those shows were about human drama and not about like firefly wasn't about what made the spaceship fly or what kind of technology was going on or what happened to the universe that was all just background it was it was completely a character drama and buffy was you weren't really interested that much in like you know vampires how do they work it was it was a character drama and a coming of age story so those you'd have you had to categorize them you'd have to call them girl geek luckily they didn't do that but you can see some cynical person wrapping these up and saying oh you know like twilight was heavily marketed because there was like nothing in there for the guys you know so that's that's obviously way over on the other side of the spectrum but it's more of a marketing decision i think than saying oh guys aren't going to like firefly because it's all about these relationships no guys love it you know they like all that stuff too 
Right, but that was the accusation, you know, Russell Russell Davis got about um, Doctor Who is that there are lots of bitter forty year old uh, or f- forty or fifty year old uh, Doctor Who fans from the old days who said, "I'm tired of seeing all this soap opera." And soap opera was code for characters with actual yeah. like thoughts and emotions, <laughs> feelings, and, and yeah, and, 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 a, and a backstory and a family and a life. <laughs> and they're like, "I don't want that. I want men in rubber suits." It's like, well, you'll <laughs> the get campaigns those. to just stand around it's, and look pretty. That's it's it. Doctor Who. You'll get the rubber don't suits. Men in rubber suits have feelings but too you're gonna wonder about their <laughs> you families break them, do they not bleed rubber well, no, they, bleed, <laughs> they have they feelings but they don't have backstories <laughs> well we'd be sad if they died then that would be yeah. you know, exactly sad. we don't want Why? our feelings to be brought up i don't yeah. want to be sad when they kill the monster i just want them to kill the monster exactly yeah. all right what have we learned have we learned anything or did we just go around in a big circle Patton oswald is wrong <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, no one agrees. No one agrees with anything in the article. I think this is the conclusion. I think no. I, th- I, I, I do think that we can agree that the article was geeky in the sense that you know, once again, you have a geek who is attempting to put a framework around something because it's a, it's a handy way of understanding the world. So we just don't agree with the framework. I think he was trolling, and and trolling is very geeky. So I'll give him that. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it was a way to promote his book. I mean, we talked about Zombie yes. Spaceship Wasteland. Oh, so I'm, 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 that too. I'm sure it was a way to promote his book. But you know, it yeah. was you know, it was it was provocative, and even if it was silly and devolved into a wacky <laughs> a, a, a wacky mm-hmm. comedy routine, which I you know I did think it was kind of funny. That in the end, uh, the only comic book that remains mm-hmm. is Steve Ditko's run on Shade the Changing Man. I mean, that's funny mm-hmm. uh, in a way, but it, it's you know not particularly deep. That's okay. He he sold some books, right? I didn't buy his book. He's got all that. So, he, he sold one book, I guess. He's got all that Ratatouille money to fall back on. Exactly. <laughs> That's right, kids. If you like Ratatouille, don't listen to Patton Oswalt's comedy. By the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's something I was going to mention early on. Is is those are very separate no. spheres. No, don't don't listen to the Patton Oswalt if you're if you're a kid who likes funny rat movies. I recommend I recommend The Secret of Nim if you. Like, like funny rodent-themed movies. kids' movies. And you should check out George Carlin's stand-up if you like rodent-themed <laughs> movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and on that note, I am going to uh, declare this uh, zombie wasteland um, closed. We're all it's been back de- in our spaceships. It's been de- we've, we've fled to the spaceship and left the zombie wasteland behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so until next time, I'd like to thank... My delightful guest. This was a lot of fun. Um, Lisa, thank you, and thanks for suggesting the topic. Well, I had fun with everybody. It was nice to podcast with people. Uh, John Syracusa, thank you for being here as well. Pleasure as always. Yes, it's great having you. And Scott McNulty, thank you very much. You made me laugh again. Oh, thank you, Jason. You will always be my lady geek. Um, until next time on the Incomparable Podcast, this is Jason Snell signing off. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>